Happy 2021, Frank. We did it. We made it. We did it. It happened. We we are living in the future. It's amazing. I didn't know if I was going to make it this far. Just kidding. <laughs> Congratulations to everyone. Welcome to 2021. It's a whole new... It's not even a new decade, is it? It's a it's new a, something. It's a whole new something. <laughs> I something. guess what's every 10 episodes? It's a whole new lightning talk episode. That's not this one, actually. Wait a second. No, what Wait, is... Are you tricking me? No. Hmm. What, did, what, okay. would, what would be a... It's not a century, because that would be 2000... 100 you know it's like programmers off by one errors like is the new decade does the decade start in 2021 or did it start in 2020 (laughs) i think it started in 2020 oh yeah let's count it year zero so it's the first year if we're counting by zero of (laughs) the new decade okay let's stop this is a terrible topic (laughs) well you know the best thing out there possibly is that uh we now can sign our checks with just 21 at the end. We don't have to put 2020 anymore. We're oh. going to just put 21. But they might confuse it with 1921. That's Isn't that a... true. That's every improbable. year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I'm still doing the longhand. When was the last time you wrote a check? Oh, I write checks all the time. I'm always writing you a check all the time, Frank. I love those checks. Thank you. <laughs> thank you patreon thank you listeners thank yeah, you heather was asking me she's like how does frank survive and i was like i just keep writing him checks no i'm just kidding i was like you yeah, know I, frank I is a highly of, uh whatever scraps <laughs> what I get. are left over i go no frank is a highly successful independent app developer in fact i saw on his live stream a new app icon emerge out of nowhere and i was like "Ooh, that looks fancy i hope that frank has released his app because it's 2021, but I don't actually know if it's happened. Oh, oh, that, that's a little arrow <laughs> no, to my chest, man. Thank you. No, no, it hasn't. But here's the good news. I think I made, um, on this show, I believe I made a commitment, not a New Year's resolution, because mm. we don't do those. I made a commitment that I would release an app that year. And then a pandemic happened, and I got lazy. And I didn't finish the app. So, you know, that's what I have you for, James. You release all the apps so I can sit back and just live vicariously through you. I don't need to release apps. But truly, (laughs) I do make my living off of selling apps. So I do need to release this app. But I haven't. Sad trombone. Support the Frank. (laughs) Well, you know, that actually gets me to the topic that I want to talk today is I'm calling this episode Holiday Hacks Completed. Uh, yes. Success. Excellent. Holiday. Success. <laughs> successful holiday hacks. Maybe that's what successful holiday hacks, Frank. We did it. We didn't even announce exactly what we were hacking on. We kind of did, but you know, then holidays emerge and then sometimes your holiday hacks change, Frank. Sometimes they just change. Uh, they do. Uh, but we've been covering, I think your holiday hack pretty carefully through the last few episodes. It's been quite a documentary we've been building up of the app and release of a single number on a screen with a star in the upper left is that, that quite dramatic would you consider that your holiday hack well that's the thing is what started as i'm gonna do this over the holidays and then randomly had a few hours at night after heather went to bed then i really started working on it before the holidays it almost doesn't count because we did an entire episode mid 
holiday. And that means we recorded a few days earlier. So I don't know if it necessarily counts, but the fun part of the holidays is with shipping delays, all the goodies came in during the holiday. And by goodies, I mean my SB32 Wi-Fi BLE 0.96 inch 128 by 64 OLED LiPo Wi-Fi kit. I'm so excited about it. Oh my God. Is this a, a new Amazon purchase? I can tell from the title, BLE. So great. We're doing another Bluetooth episode. I'm so excited. I'm just kidding. Though I'm sure we will talk Bluetooth. Uh, I totally lost track of the rest of that. But all I can assume is that if you spin this thing around in circles, it'll have, tell you how many circles per minute you're making. No, Frank. Is that no, right? No. The reverse is that if you have a thingy <laughs> that if you have a thingy already that will spit out some Bluetooth junk, this will put a this will put a number on the tiny little LED screen that's on this little SP32. Oh, uh, fantastic! So you've you built your you've turned your app into an IoT thinger. Is yeah, that what you've done? We started talking about this last podcast, and it happened, Frank. I live streamed it. I built the entire app. In two hours, live. That I, I can't. You built the whole thing. I sorry. I'm just a little awestruck because I don't quite believe you. Um. So, <laughs> define what you mean by you built the whole thing, and define the thing because I feel like I was totally off track here for a bit. So, last I remember is you were going into my favorite device, the SB32, mm-hmm. and you had bought one. I'm not sure if this was on the show or not, but you had bought one with an uh, OLED screen, a fancy OLED screen. And your goal was to take your RPM measurement app and turn that into a little cutesy IoT device. That's correct. Yeah, this little puppy is very impressive for $18, Frank. I I know that we've talked about IoT devices before and we've done entire podcasts, but I am impressed at what $18 gets you. And what it gets you is this tiny board that has a bunch of circuits on it, right? And like you said, I don't need any soldering, which is good because I'm just using the core of what's on there. But it has a tiny little LED screen, 128 by 64, which is, I mean, who needs more than that, Frank? Let's be honest. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, 128 by 64 fine can you fit asteroids on there i don't know i i i want 128 by 128 but fine 128 by 64 please continue 128 by 64 it also has a wi-fi and it has bluetooth built into it and you just plug it into your computer and you can code on it so my goal (laughs) of this was to take my mobile app and turn it into a iot device that would uh, display your cadence. So my application, my cadence, because that's the best name that I can come up with it, which we did an entire <laughs> podcast on. I'm not going to go into it. All it does is it connects to Bluetooth sensors that are on stationary bikes, like cycling indoor bicycles. And it tells you your RPM, your rotations per minutes of the crank arm. We call it the cadence of how fast you're moving. And that's important because when you're exercising, they call it the cadence. Well, what would be really nice, right, is instead of having to bust out your cell phone and plug it up, what if you had a little tiny display that was just always on, always powered? And I was really lucky because, one, these devices are legitimately $18 and it gives you everything you need, but I was 
enticed and intrigued by a um, a Hacker News commenter who was kind enough to dump the source code that they had written um, that did something very similar but very specific to a um, Bluetooth enabled bike, right? So, so same, same concept, except for all different, um, logic and guids and things like that. <laughs> right. So, cause it has, it's its own bike. It's like a fitness bike and it, and you have to like write data and read data. But I was like, Hey, the guts are here, right? It's like good bones. Like when you find a house, you're like that house is kind of like, not what I'm looking for, but it's got good bones. And that's what the source code had. And that was my starting point. Yeah, I I think I keep repeating myself here when I say I'm really impressed with the Arduino community. They've been writing really good, high-quality C++ code lately. And not to be too silly, but um, C++ has taken a weird spin. There's like modern C++, and it's really weird to read, and it's kind of hard to read. <laughs> and I'm just saying that because it's not the C++ I grew up on, you know. But the Arduino community has been producing these open source libraries, predominantly open source, where people are writing really high-quality, object-oriented C++ code that's very easy to read, very easy to consume very easy to translate into different languages and all that kind of stuff. And so um, kind of I'm not shocked at all that that code existed because that's the whole maker IoT community totally happening right there. And it's been fun. I dip my toes in it from time to time. I generally just write silly things that turn lights on and off. But at the same time, I'm kind of inspired by that community and yeah, everything they're producing. I'm I'm actually impressed with a lot of these little tiny microcontroller communities, including the, uh, the Raspberry Pi community, the Adafruit community. I don't know if those are the same thing, um, but what I've noticed is I've seen a lot of tutorials online, and it's great because it's like, here's how you do the one thing, because these boards are allowed to do one thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, that's the cool well, part about IoT is like they can ideally do more than one thing but they oftentimes do one thing. Does that make sense? Sure, but it's kind of the software dream where mm. you're given a bunch of hardware that can do a billion things. Like, there's so much those boards can do. Oh, yeah. And even that microprocessor, like that board isn't even doing that microprocessor justice. There's mm. things that processor can do that that board's not exposing. Um, but <laughs> um, the magic is in the software. So it's like you're turning this general purpose piece of hardware into a specific device. And that's kind of the joke. I, 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 I call them single purpose devices because they're kind of wonderful. You're just writing this one app. <laughs> it's not an operating system. You're not logging into it. It's the app that this device is going to run for until the end of eternity, as long as you keep that battery charged. And that permanence is kind of what I'm in love with, that you can take your software, take this general purpose piece of hardware and tune it to your application. Sorry, I'm getting kind of like silly philosophical here, but this is really why I got into software is like this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's super duper neat. And I think what's cool about it is that there seems to be a lot of people that are like it's almost like how I develop apps. And that's what I feel like is really cool about this community. 
because how I develop apps are, is, hey, I have a problem and I'm going to solve it for myself. Like that's why I built my cadence is because Apple Fitness Plus was coming out and I go, oh, I just want to, you know, I want a little cadence thing for myself. So I'm going to build an app because that's the thing I know how to do. And what I've seen since looking at this project and forking it and making it my own is that there are tons of people that are doing the exact same thing. They're like building these little tiny IOT devices like for their setup. They're like, oh, I have this trainer. I have this sensor. I have this bike. And I am now going to make this little thing. I got someone literally sent me, um, it was like Swift code that runs on a, maybe it was an Adafruit. I don't know. It was some IOT device. I was like, I don't even know Swift could run on a, on a tiny device. I don't even know. How's that even possible? You know what I mean? But it like blew my mind. (laughs) And I was like, that's really cool. And that's what I really started enjoying about this process of building this application. And, and, and that was how I was able to do it. And like, maybe it's two and a half, three hours, Frank, but I mean, I was able to do it in like three hours is because this community had for all intents and purposes, built the thing and when Frank, you have a GUI user interface service surface that is 128 by 64, <laughs> like, guess what? The user interface is really easy. <laughs> uh, two labels, two icons is what I remember most from your screenshots, something like that. And I kind of want your font to be bigger. I don't even feel like you're using the full <laughs> 128 by 640. I think you're kind of squeezed up into the corner there a little bit, James. Um, I, ho- I hope you somehow find a way to post that screenshot to this podcast. Mm, sorry, everyone, but it's uh, it's a mixture of things. So you have this processor, you have an LOLED screen, and you have your Bluetooth code running. The only thing you're kind of missing is like a button to be a proper user interface. You need your on-click handler and that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think that that's just kind of the next logical step. The fun thing is you can write companion apps to this because mm. it's talking Bluetooth. So you could have my cadence talk to my IoT cadence very mm. easily and do user interfaces that way too. Lots of possibilities. Isn't software wonderful? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, this thing is actually neat because there are two buttons. There's the traditional reset button, but there's also a program button, which this person actually took into consideration in their code. I, I got lucky. This this code scanned for Wi-Fi dev- or scanned for Bluetooth devices. It had the UI to like display them, refresh it, and also pick one or just connect to one automatically. Again, I had to I had to write all the new logic, which was nice because actually porting code from C sharp to C when you're just literally creating integers and doubles is pretty easy, to be honest with you. Like, it's not that yeah. hard. There's like if statements, I, like they're the same. Yeah, it's called the C family of languages for a reason. It's not called D sharp or G sharp. It's called C sharp. <laughs> mm. We're giving you the C programming language with a few restrictions and giving you a garbage collector. Have fun. Um, yeah, so uh, we've talked in the past about... Um, Netduino and Wilderness Labs and Meadow. That's where they're trying to get C sharp code down onto these same kind of devices. But the most basic way, the simplest way, just because we've supported it since the 1970s, is to use uh, C. And it's funny that, 
Like, it didn't have to be C++. It could have been Objective-C. You mentioned you got Swift running. Because any compiler out there nowadays can output native code, something that can run on a chip. So you'll see even out there, there are versions of Python called MicroPython, where they've gotten the Python runtime to compile down onto these chips. So I think we've also seen a little revolution where these programming languages, were, which were designed for desktop operating systems, were like, well, with just a little bit of hard work and some forethought and maybe removing a feature here or there, we can squeeze them down onto those devices too. So I'm really curious, with all the props to the Arduino community and their wonderful use of C++, I am curious in 20 years or 40 years what the dominant languages will be. But the good news is, um, A, there's these wonderful open source libraries out there. B, you can probably figure out a way to get your favorite language on there somehow, hmm. some way too. Yeah. I would say that the largest hurdle to overcome for these is, is getting into development, right? This is a Arduino board. I used Arduino Studio. The biggest hurdle is the IDE the ecosystem, the documentation, this thing is all over the place. If, you, if, you, if anyone joined my live stream, there, I had a bunch of people that was super helpful, like Samir helped out and a bunch of other people that were like, did IoT stuff? Because as a developer, like Arduino Studio is like so complicated to use, even though it's like so simplistic because I, I don't know anything, right? I didn't understand that I needed to go add a special you know, RSS feed that would add a library specifically for this board <laughs> or that I needed to download like the board like device to be able to deploy it to like know to compile the code a certain way for this board. So I needed to go to this random website of the manufacturer um, <laughs> to, to like browse their PDF documentation, like helltech.cn. Like I went to this Chinese website that was like, here's how you do it. And they're like, just go to this GitHub page. And it's like half in English, half in Chinese, which is great. And I really, I, I, I figured it out, but I was like, wow, this is like not intuitive at all. Where like I had the meadow and the meadow's like, cool, install this extension and plug it in. And you're like, cool, sounds good. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, that's because what's what I'm used to. I install Xamarin and I'm like, they're like, plug in a phone and you're like, cool. And I'm like, like, I think that I just have taken so much for granted over the years that when it comes to this type of development, I love the simplicity of the types of applications, not that they're simple, but the types of applications that I can build and the, and the, the world and ecosystem that I'm living in this tiny little board, but getting into it, it was so frustrating. You'd be like, I got to go over here and do this thing. Like nothing really made sense. Like go to this preference screen and then add this thing. And then, okay. I'm like, now, which one do I select? And like, <laughs> that's not documented. And I was like, I guess no. I'll try the first one. Like, Okay. <laughs> That that screen is hilarious, the Arduino screen. So once you figured out, um, yeah, how to install the device or the board, I think they call it boards in the IDE. Boards. Once you get that installed, like you said, you can go select the device, and it brings up this list of like fifty different devices. And mm -hmm. You're like, mine's not on there. Like that, this random company I bought this from, that one's not listed on there. Uh, rule of thumb, one of those is called like a dev kit. That's probably the one that you want. Or one of them's called um, 
a micro node or something like that, node MCU, something like that. There, there was kind of an established standard that everyone started adopting. The difference is the other ones have some specialized features that they light up for you. Chances are you're not using those features. So it kind of doesn't matter as long as you pick kind of the generic board. It's funny that you said this is an Arduino board because it's not actually how that board started. It started out as a Lua board. Oh, you know Lua? I know Lua. Yeah, it's a popular scripting language for games. Oh, that's right. I forgot it was a gaming thing. Yeah. In fact, it was um, a neural network thing for a while. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Torch is a pretty famous neural network library out there. The version everyone's probably familiar with is called PyTorch, which is mm. released by Facebook. But long before PyTorch was torch which was a lua wrapper over the torch library so lua's it's funny where lua pops up and it's when they were first designing this board they wanted to make to the development experience easy and there was totally the arduino community but they they kind of had their own boards and everything and they thought that they could do a little bit better than the arduino community so they released this as a lua board and you're supposed to program it in lua Turns out the Arduino community is quite big and powerful and everyone just wanted to program it as an Arduino. So it's just, sorry, I just had to bring up that funny little history that for a short time there, these were actually mostly Lua things. But uh, you're right. This is kind of like, it's starting back out in computer science. Like we reset computer science with a new board, comes a new operating system, comes new programming languages, comes new IDEs, all that stuff. You have to reinvent the wheel every time you start on a new board. It's kind of gross. And that's why we like cross-platform languages, because we don't want to have to reinvent the wheel every time this happens. But um, it's interesting because you can pick your level on the stack. This board, the SP32, that's the microprocessor, uh, that is from a company called Esperif. And they've been kind enough to release all their libraries as open source. Mm. So you can start a C program using just the Esperif libraries themselves. Now, they're kind of low level. And by kind of, I mean very, very super low level and take a lot of reading and a lot of work to understand. And that's why most people go one level up and that's the Arduino level, the level you're working at, where you have all the basic Arduino IDE, you have the Arduino libraries that run on it. It's just moving up on the abstraction level. And then once you get tired of that, <laughs> you can actually move up higher in the abstraction level and go to something like C Sharp and Python or Lua in, in this case. Yeah, it's um, it, it was an adventure, I would say. I definitely completed it. I tested it. It totally worked. And uh, then I went a little bit further and I did fill that blank space with a little power meter so you could determine like how like how far you're going because I did use the maximum font height surprisingly that I could figure <laughs> out. I, maybe I could hard code something. I don't know, but I, I, I thought about that too. Um, but yeah, it's uh, just, can I, I was just like, interject yeah. there? Mm -hmm. It's really funny how they handle fonts or at least I'm, I'm assuming you're using this one library. Mm -hmm. You they're, they're all bitmap fonts yeah. and they're actually included as C files 
that are just giant arrays of the bitmap kind of, you know, so it's kind of funny how that works out. And so if you want bigger fonts, what people do is they release these C files and these header files that just have larger and larger and larger characters with, you know, different stylings and things like that. But fundamentally, it's just an image (laughs) turned into a C array and released on GitHub. Yeah, that makes sense because the images that are on it are an image that are converted into the array and then are then displayed, which is which is funny. Um, but yeah, this this Heltic is the the name of the company, and they have a nice library for displaying that. Even a progress bar, it's like built in, which I think is really cool. So there are some basic building blocks that they have, and yeah, it's done. It's it's out there. It's on the GitHub. I wrote a blog post about it. So there's that. Um, and now my cadence is on iOS, Android, and Arduino. So that's cool. And uh, that was my holiday hack. Holiday hack. Success, Frank. I'm very pleased with myself on this. And now it's um, all about support. And you printed me a um, a little a, a thing image thing from a thingiverse. Yes, I am sorry to announce live on this show that I have yet to mail it, though. Classic. <laughs> so. Well, I just bought batteries, so you got two weeks to... Oh, is that right? Oh, shipping is going slow, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. Um, along with all the electronics, the whole 3D printing thing is happening, right? So you sent me a design. I it's an okay design. It's okay. It's, okay. I, it's all right. It's all right. It's 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 not what I would have done. In fact, I gave a presentation. You know, it, it's hard to say because time doesn't exist anymore but between 10 years ago and yesterday i gave a presentation online about how to uh design enclosures we call them for these kinds of circuits so if you have a board or a screen or something you want to design a 3d object around it um nice nice ways where you can like form it to snap onto objects like maybe you'd want it to snap onto your handlebars or something like that i don't know yeah that'd be cool but like for my one wheel when i did a little speedometer for my one wheel i had it snap onto like the rail and it was super cool hard to get on sometimes and get off but it, it was super satisfying when it would make that click and everything but uh yeah you sent me a case i printed it out very quickly and it's just been sitting here <laughs> because <laughs> um it's been the holidays and all that kind of stuff but it, it'll get sent to you soon good well what's your holiday hack frank because you have been busy coding i am pretty sure Oh, sure. Um, I've If we're just talking coding, I always have a million ones. But I think the holiday hack that actually deserves attention has been what I've been Twitch streaming about, which has been I've been having fun with the LiDAR on the iPhone. And I've been trying to build kind of a scanning app. And I've been doing it live on Twitch. And it's been kind of hilarious because it's all just a bunch of math and a bunch of just like it's so hard to debug because it's just all math and everything, but it's fun because there's a chat room and we're all hanging out and all the bugs look ridiculous because it's just my face on the screen getting distorted in really embarrassing ways. But I've been having fun building the scanner app and it's getting so close, so close to done. But James, you've released an app and an Arduino project. And all I have is some code that maybe works, uh, maybe two more Twitch streams, and it will definitely be working. (laughs) Well, one thing that's very fascinating is that when I tuned into your stream this last weekend is that you were writing some C 
plus plus code, right? Or Objective C code? Where you right? You're running some C plus plus. Objective C or C plus plus. <laughs> All of the above. Mm. Objective C++. Ah, Did you even know that's a language? Yeah. Isn't it weird? It's funny because it's actually going back to my roots. When I first started out in iOS programming, I started out in Objective C++, and that's Mm. because I'm a C++ programmer. And when it came time to learn iOS, you know... Objective-C is weird. (laughs) Yeah. It was really hard to learn in the beginning, and I eased myself into it by writing Objective-C++. And so what happened was there was just this Apple sample out there, and it's so much easier to just hack on someone's sample sometimes than to translate it. Mm -hmm. Like, all the code I totally could have just converted over to C-sharp or F-sharp. And at this point, I really wish I had, <laughs> but um, for better or for worse, I just kept hacking away at this um, Objective-C++, but I also took it as an opportunity to learn how to do some Swift programming, mm-hmm. which has been kind of hilarious because <laughs> I've produced some Swift code. I have written libraries for professional organizations in Swift. I've written two different compilers for Swift. I I would say on my resume, I can write Swift code. But it turns out I'm not very good at it, James. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just been a real fun, um, just, you know, stretching your wings, see if, if I can figure the language out. I've made a lot of conclusions. It's an excellent language with a terrible debugger. I... <laughs> 100 billion percent miss the .NET debugger that can just inspect any object completely. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, you miss that feature so much. I forget in native code how like dumb the debuggers are. Okay, okay. Stand well, positive. I mean, I, mean <laughs> I was I was coding C++ in the Arduino and you know how I debugged it? Serial.println. It's all you got because those debuggers are terrible. <laughs> exactly. And I say that because... um. I was complimenting LLDB. Sorry, I don't know. I'm just going to rag on debuggers all of a sudden. But when I was working on the Catalyst stuff for uh, Mac and iOS, I was just living in the debugger because it was all native crash, native crash, native crash. I'm just like, these debuggers are so bad, James. I so miss the .NET debuggers. I am never going to complain about an IDE bug ever, ever again. (laughs) I am just thankful that we have our beautiful managed runtime. Okay. That's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. I agree. I didn't mean to make that a commercial for uh, managed memory frameworks <laughs> in particular .NET, but oh, it makes you appreciate it. Uh, on the good side, um, you have Python <laughs> if you want to try that, or Lua. Lua's garbage collected. Also, I really don't know why. Arduino is stuck in C++. I hope someday the Arduino community finds a different programming language. One day. Well, so what is this app? So we get, I want to step back and talk about your holiday hack a little bit because okay. I saw, I came into it. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. It's just like a bunch of <laughs> gibberish and your phone's on there. Okay. So let's talk about what was your app idea, right? And yeah, and go from there. Okay. Um, uh, Fundamentally, I'm interested in just one simple problem. Given one 3D scan of an environment Mm -hmm. and then a second one, figure out how much the phone moved. So it's more of a tracking problem 
fundamentally. It's like, um, imagine like your eyes are open and you see the room, mm-hmm. <laughs> shut your eyes, <laughs> rotate 45 degrees, look at the room again, and then, you know, stitch those together in your head. And we've had image stitching software kind of for the last 10 years. It's been really good. We can stitch two 2D images together. But we now have 3D sensors on phones, the LiDAR sensors. And what I had discovered is that any phone with Face ID has this built-in LiDAR sensor. And you can do 3D scans of the room. It's like the Kinect sensor on your phone. And what I wanted to do was not 2D image stitching, but 3D image stitching. So figure out how much the phone moved, translated, and how much it rotated between two different frames. That was it. Interesting. Is there a use case for this thing? Yeah, um, a million, because it's kind of a, a fundamental problem to multiple use cases. So the first use case, the kind of obvious simple one, is stitching together multiple scans of a room. So let's say I want to scan my entire apartment. What I need to do is, you know, the, the phone only has so much of a field of view. It can't see the entire apartment all at once. So... I have to take a picture of the wall, you know, whatever you want to think of it, a video, picture, same difference. Uh, And then I have to walk around the apartment. And then some magical software (laughs) has to take all those frames and merge them together to create this total 3D scan of Mm. the room. Yeah. And yeah, so right. So the process is between each two frames, you figure out how much the phone has moved and you know, within reason, within errors and all that kind of stuff, you can keep moving around the room and it'll just stitch it kind of all together. And what was kind of neat, I always knew that that was the process. And there are multiple algorithms out there to do that. And I had just from my college experience, some rough ideas of how you do it, but they were all kind of complicated algorithms. I never thought I'd ever be able to implement them. But it was just some one fun day. I don't even know how it happened. I just ran into this research paper that said very clearly, like in a four-page paper, which is not at all normal for a research paper. They're not usually very readable. Um, But I could actually understand this one. And it's like, hey, if you have this problem of you have a 3D scan here and a 3D scan there, do these five steps, this beautiful five-step program, and we will give you the optimal solution to that problem. Mm. And I'm like, well, gosh darn it, I like optimal. And it just seems so intriguing that it was this beautiful solution that I just had to implement it. I didn't know it was going to take me so long to implement, though. Now, when it comes to LIDAR, so describe LIDAR for me, because, you know, I think a lot of people have heard of it because it's in self-driving cars and we know that Apple put a LIDAR sensor into things, but what exactly does that give us as developers? And like, what is the fundamental technology? I think it's like, is it, is it sonar? Is that what it is? No, it's not sonar. Is it sonar? No, it's not. It's light. It's not oh. audio. Sonar is audio. Okay. So this is light. This is lasers. 
Um, the exact precise physics of it, I cannot describe, unfortunately. <laughs> I have a friend that can, but I cannot. Um, something about laser beam diffraction, putting a grid out into the world. Um, the, the mental model that you want to use, though, is that there is a grid of 640 by 400 laser beams shooting out of your phone. And every single one of those little laser beams can report how far away an object is that it hit. Mm. So what you get as a programmer is a 640 by 480 image, but instead of color, you get depth. How far that laser beam had to travel before it hit something. Mm. And then that can give you a 3D representation because if you were to put that on the Z axis... That mm-hmm. gives you that it's, oh, you know, oh, you know what it is. You remember those toys that were um, little like things of metal, like you'd put your face into it or your hand into it and the metal little sticks. That's LIDAR. You know uh, what I'm talking about? I, I think I'm there, but I'm thinking more like Krypton technology. Did you see the new Superman movies when they're on Krypton and like the little needles come out of the thing to make in- user interfaces? No, no. Bueller? No, okay. <laughs> what is, but you know what the thing I'm talking about? It's like in science. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, it's like hand in hand. Okay. Toy. Maybe is is it at the store? Yeah. Okay. I think I know what you're talking about. <sighs> pin art. Is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, come on. Sure. Yes. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good it. for pin art. <laughs> there you go. Look at this Amazon link. Boom. I'm putting in the show notes, everybody. This is what I'm talking about. Pin art. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm here with you. I remember this was a popular Christmas gift at some point. <laughs> uh, this is exactly it. So the neat thing is on the iPhone, it can tell you what you need to know is these lasers are being shot out, but you need to know exactly what angle they're being shot out at. And that's called the lens intrinsics. So the iPhone can report to you exactly how its lens works also. So if you couple how the lens works with how far that laser beam had to go before it hits something, then that will tell you its 3D coordinate. Now, the problem is it's a 3D coordinate in the camera's frame of reference Mm. and its space. So if you want to stitch together a world, you have to come not to the camera's uh, frame, its frame of reference, its perspective, but you have to establish more of a global perspective, a global reference frame. Mm. And that's the little trick that I'm performing. So the idea is take one picture move the camera, take another picture. It figures out that transformation by taking that depth data, turning it into 3D points, doing that for the second frame, and then figuring out how to turn that one set of 3D points into the other. And that gives you the transformation. How'd that explanation go? I think that's good. That makes sense. I'm kind of envisioning it. And what I've been doing here is like opening, looking at my monitor, closing my eyes, rotating. 45 yeah, degrees exactly. and then opening my eyes and like trying to figure out like that process to get from X to Z. Yeah. So the cool thing is you can use that. So getting back to your original question five minutes ago, um, you can use that for the problem I just described of creating like a 3D scan of a room, mm. but you can also use that for navigation. Mm. So here's another fun experiment I did with it. 
um, I treated the central laser beam as a sonar beam. So I turned LiDAR into sonar, James. You're, ah. You should be happy. <laughs> and what, <laughs> what I did was um, the farther an object was away, the lower frequency it was. The closer it was to you, the higher frequency it was. And then I would blindfold myself and walk around my apartment and try not to walk into walls. And it was really fun because it's, it's the same kind of, it's actually a very simple case of this. I don't even have to do the 3D projection because I just know how far objects are away from the phone, even without being able to see them. Very cool. Very cool. And then did you feel, as I know you said you're not done yet, you feel like you've successfully at least sort of gotten movement on this thing? It sounds like you have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's It was fun because at first it was like so much data. I was so worried about it. Like, so I was like really worried about performance and all that kind of stuff. But then I forgot. The iPhone is infinitely fast these days, James. <laughs> it's very, very true. Very true. <laughs> oh, my God. So, like, it's just chewing through this stuff. You know, the biggest problem I've had with it is the stupid LiDAR can overheat Ooh. because it's just shooting all this energy out into the world and, you know, nothing comes for free. So it's ex it, some things are just absorbing that energy, unfortunately. And so I'll run into unfortunate situations where it'll just overheat. And so when you use these APIs, you actually have to track that kind of stuff. But in general, as long as you're not like running the screen, running a neural network, downloading a video from Twitch, you know, doing all these things simultaneously, it'll be just fine. But it's funny that you have to watch out for those funny kind of things. Now, I will say I've gotten the algorithm that I mentioned it before, that beautiful, gorgeous, elegant algorithm that I can't say the name of. And I can't remember it because it's like this German name, Kabishka, Kabishka optimization, something like that. Uh, it's a beautiful algorithm and it's giving some results, but I haven't been able to verify them mm. because it's just one of those problems where you're trying to relate ridiculous amounts of math to the physical, really real world. Mm. And that's always a bit of a problem. You're running into this. Like you're, you're taking this random data out of the ether and trying to turn them into an actual number that represents the physical, really real world. And it's, it's tricky to get that right. It's tricky to get it right because there's a lot of variables involved. Like in my case, there is so many different types of sensors. I can only buy so many, Frank. Okay. I'm going to have, I'm going to do a <laughs> review of all thousand sensors that I have sitting I around my wait. house. And, um, and they're all like there is a specification, but in, in my instance, I'm like, oh, I forgot about this use case or this. I've only optimized for one use case. So I think in the I imagine in the LiDAR case, there's a lot, a little bit more complexity than what I'm running into, maybe. Yeah, but it's the kind of complexity I kind of love. Um, it's a big data kind of complexity. Uh, it's a signal noise kind of complexity. It's funny because not all those laser beams have good lives. A lot of them just fail to do their job. Um, if they hit a window, who knows what's going to happen because a window can either reflect or transmit. And depending on the angle, depending on how dirty it is, all that kind of stuff, 
mirrors. <laughs> mirrors just create like an alternate reality that is incomputable for these things. <laughs> and it's just hilarious how they handle those. Um, but then I have like fun objectives too, because again, with the same problem of I scan the world and then I look at how the world changed in the next frame, I want to do other things like robot navigation with them. So detect the floor, detect where in the room I want to go, and then do obstacle avoidance. So it can navigate hallways. It can navigate Lego bricks that someone left on the floor, probably named Frank, and you know other things like that. So I'm kind of interested also in it from the robotics algorithm. And that's why I'm having so much fun with the holiday hack, because although I'm working on this one problem, I know I can uh, do so many other things with it. Very, very cool. I'm excited to see where you go with it and what the final output becomes, you know, in the next few weeks that you're, you're working on the application. And uh, I'm just happy that we could take some time. I know we, we both went out today. I did a little hiking and do a little one wheeling. Hope you also got some other downtime. I know we're still stuck indoors. Um, I know it's, you know, I had some good zoom calls with my family over the holiday, uh, lots of phone calls and lots of, lots of indoor activity, um, but I'm, I'm glad that we're still able to hack a little bit and be motivated to do it. I think, to be honest, I felt very motivated this holiday. I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, it was really nice to have some time off of work. And I told Heather, I was like, I did a lot of outdoor stuff, um, you know, hiking and, and skiing. And then uh, I was able to work on the application. We were able to put up a little, a little Christmas tree. We had our Christmas. We had our Zoom calls. We had... Um, our FaceTime calls. And then I had the indoor cycling thing. And that was really rewarding. I wrote tons of blog posts. I just been pumping out blog posts. And, <laughs> um, I've had a lot of people reach out like that, you know, put I put out the one about how I built my bike, um, put it together like for under $400. And it's, it's nice to see other people joining in and, and kind of like, you know, motivating them to get into the world of, of cycling, indoor cycling, at least. And some other people, even from our last podcast, I was on the Twitch stream, like they were encouraged. I don't know if it was from that episode, at least from one of our episodes talking about the SP32 to do SP32 development. So it's kind of cool that you get to hear this. And I'd love to hear from our listeners. If you had a cool holiday hack, you know, send it to us, go to mergeconflict.fm, hit the contact button, send us an email. We'd love to shout out to see what, you know, our listeners are are working on and what they're hacking on. I've had a lot of people reach out. That's like, I read your blog post and I did this really cool thing. I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> you know, sharing this stuff to the world and letting more people find it, I think is, is really cool. Like had I never wrote that blog article and had it not got randomly picked up by hacker news, I would have never randomly had that person post a comment about their project in which I turned into my holiday hack. Like that's freaking crazy. They're like, that's so cool. I don't know. It's bananas. That's the world. That's the wonder of the internet. <laughs> we're all connected, even though we're all stuck inside. Oh, you just had to go there. Uh, it sounds like you're doing a lot better at life than me right now, James. Good for you. <laughs> uh, um, I, I did get to go one wheeling, though, today. The rain finally let up. Um, I'm, I'm glad you got to go skiing. That sounds 
lovely. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'm I'm so interested in people's holiday hacks because those are some of my favorite uh, Twitch streaming programming episodes where I'm constantly shocking myself because I'm just so careless when I have like an audience. <laughs> so I'm just like touching random wires together and I usually make something explode or, or another. So you're kind of inspiring me to get back to a few uh, shocking experiences on my... <laughs> Well, definitely, everyone, feel free to write in and just go to mergeconflict.fm, like I said, um, and let us know what you think of our holiday hacks, but also we're, like I said, super interested in your holiday hacks. And don't forget that soon into the future, we will be doing lightning topics. So make sure you submit those as well by going onto our Discord or going onto um, our Twitter account or onto just writing us an email, whatever you want. But I think that's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict kicking off 2021. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Schubert. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.